Last week we looked at the story, who can remember the story? Mark chapter 2, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home, so many gathered there, so many there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. You know, sometimes I think the Bible was written by an Englishman. I mean, you know, it's just, just sort of stating facts, isn't it? I mean, and they made a hole in the roof. I mean, it's as it happens every day. You know, just an uh, amazing thing. So we filled in the story a little bit and had a bit of fun around that. Lowered the man. Digging through the roof, they lowered the man, the paralyzed man that was lying on the mat or the bed. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. It's a frightening thought, isn't it? God, by the power, his power, the Holy Spirit, knows what we're thinking in our hearts. Yeah? Ah, it's so great to see you. And he knows what I'm thinking in my heart. Hmm. Bit sobering that, wasn't it? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And he got up and took his mat, walked out in full view of them all, went home. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, never seen anything like this before. That's the nature of our God. Not seen anything like that before. That's what we've been singing and declaring uh, before him this morning. And so we looked at that and we talked about the fact of the, the absolute commitment of these uh, four friends to get their friend. They had one objective come what may, we must get him to Jesus. We also recognised that whatever the cost, whatever the difficulty, this is what they were going to do. There was a real strong sense of commitment to that course. We also saw that there came a point where as they lowered him, the further he got away from them, the closer he got to Jesus. And they recognised that no matter what their efforts were, and they were good and they were right and they were demonstration of true love, bringing somebody to know Jesus and bringing them into that place of introduction, that in spite of all that, there was something which they couldn't do. That, and that was what they required from Jesus was the miracle that actually set the man free so that we could uh, read the story. He went home. And we talked about, wow, what a homecoming that was. We began to focus on savouring. Remember, um, we talked about sowing in tears but reaping in joy. We began to savour and we, we named particular personal people that we wanted to, to reach 
with this great and wonderful good news and bring them to Jesus and savoured the joy of that time, of that breakthrough time, that time when there is that great victory. Was that good? There's another bit to that story, and I want to take that bit today. Uh, It's funny how sometimes these things just sort of come to you and, and stand out to you. He says, get up, take your bed, take your bed, pick it up, take it away. Your sins are forgiven, now you can walk out free. There's something that you don't any longer need. You don't need to look back on that. There's something here that you need to be freed from. You need to let go of it because it's no longer... You don't, you don't need it anymore. You don't live here anymore. And I, as I thought about that, I saw, actually, we don't often kind of link the thing together. But when Jesus was uh, coming to the, the pool uh, where people laid round and waited for the angel to stir the waters. Do you remember that story? And then the first one in got healed. And he came to this man that had been there 38 years. And I suppose there's an option. He could have said food or money or whatever, things to keep him comfortable in the present situation. Well, he didn't immediately say it. He said, well, you see, the problem is, and he went through a list of things. I don't have anybody here to help me. And while I'm kind of trying to get into the water, somebody else has got in before me. A long discourse. And Jesus was focusing on something very specific. What do you want? Well, actually, I want to be healed. I don't want to have to be in this state anymore. And in the same case, he goes into this detail. And remember, Jesus doesn't sort of deal in unnecessary detail. He only ever does, speaks, says the things that his father's given him to say. And he says again, take up your bed. Take your bed with you. I thought, hmm, this taking the bed. Even the Bible talks about in the story of Bartimaeus. You remember the blind beggar that was sitting there uh, begging and Jesus was going past and he cries out and everybody says, oh, shut up, you're just a blind beggar. Uh, But he keeps calling out. And again, in that story, it's not what Jesus says, but it's what he does. He casts aside the very thing that was for his comfort, the cloak, the very thing that would keep him warm, the very thing, probably the only thing that he had. And actually, um, the cloak had another purpose. When they sat there, because it was deemed to be unclean to actually hand anything to somebody like that, coins or anything else, it formed, he sat there with his cloak, if you think across his lap, forming like a kind of area where coins could be thrown. And again, there was something important that that was, that was cast aside. So let's look at that, that sense of leaving what we needed, which we no longer need, in order to enter into what God has done. When Jesus has healed us, This salvation is so significant. We don't need the past because of what he's done. Let's just remind ourselves of some of the the scriptures uh, that he gives to us. I think we've got them to go up on the screen. Let me just read them out to you. Because of God's great love for us, we are adopted into his family and made joint heirs with Christ. It is perfectly okay in this church to say whoopee. 
or <clears throat> I agree, or quite right, yes, yes. And we cater for all cultures, yes? Oh, sorry, I woke somebody up right there. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. We are the righteousness of Christ through faith, thus being made right before God. This is the package, guys. This is what God's done for us. This is what he declares in his word. We're entitled to a clean conscience before God because of the blood and can have full assurance of faith when we go before him. Wow. I bet your mum would make you wash behind your ears before you went in to see the queen. Our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. God himself has chosen not to remember our failures. Well, Lord, it's about that failure that I had. You know, Lord, that sin. God says, excuse me, what are you talking about? As far as I'm concerned, it never, ever, even happened. can't have the slate wiped more clean than that. This is the package. We are loved with the same love that the Father has for Jesus himself. This is just a few of the scriptures that, that illustrate this great cleansing, life-renewing, utterly changing gift from God, this salvation. We were singing this morning, I am who you say I am, saying that to God. Not who anybody else says, not who some little voice would try to say from inside, I am who you say I am. Not, nothing else. Everything else can be completely blotted out. That's the truth. I am who you say I am. I love that, that other line in that other song, Reckless Love. No lie that you won't tear down. Today, I want some lies torn down. We just look through this story. We'll look at a couple of other things so that we just get the clarity of the picture. There was a son of Jonathan... Jonathan went into a covenant with David. Not the same covenant or the strength of covenant as the new covenant that Christ has made through us by the shedding of his blood. This son, Ephibosheth, was a sad situation. He was crippled in both feet. And the story goes that David was remembering this covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan had, uh, was gone. And he asked the question, is there anybody where I can show love, show kindness to express this covenant that I made with Jonathan? One of the guys says, well, yeah, there's Meshibosheth. Meshibosheth. You do need to have your teeth in the right way round to say that, don't you? You know. So he can't. He said, well, I, I can't. I mean, you know, look, look at the state I'm in. I'm, I'm just like a dog. Very, very low image. Not at all recognizing even the covenant that has been made. Covenant which changed the situation. Covenant being remembered. So if you want to know where the story is, is two Samuel, chapter nine. And he has him brought in, and he said, "You will have." We're just talking about this. Daniel and Mark were just saying about it. 
you will have a seat at my table. Why? It's nothing to do with your looks or with your appearance. It's to do with the fact that I made a covenant. I made a covenant with Jonathan. And that covenant transcends anything else. It's greater, it's bigger, it's more significant than anything else in life, in the past of life, or in any other area, or even in yourself. A declaration of what has been done. Then there were Daniel's friends. You know the ones that wouldn't bow down? And so Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown in the fire, in the furnace. Amazing story that was. And interesting thing there was that, of course, you know, they survive and Nebuchadnezzar sees like a fourth person that he likens unto the Son of God walking in the furnace with them. Remember, there's a furnace that actually killed the soldiers that threw them in because it had been made so, so hot. And they came out. People said, you know what? That salvation, that rescue, that protection was so fantastic there's not, there's not even any smell of smoke on them. Anybody ever lit an illicit bonfire? I know the smoke-free zone and all that sort of thing. I'm sure none of you would have ever done that. But on one occasion, many, many times ago, there's another polar bear gone to the great hunting ground in the sky. But that wasn't so serious as when I walked in and the one who holds utter authority said, You stink! You smell a smoke. Because it's very difficult to be near the fire without smelling of smoke. Here's the thing. No smell of smoke. There was nothing from the past. There was nothing from the experience that could possibly cling. Such was the level of this salvation that not even the smoke could smell, the, could cause the clothes to smell. It was, it was just a miracle. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Your sins, sins, though they were crimson, shall be white as snow. We've got to understand there's a totality of what God's given. We've just gone through those scriptures just to kind of get a sample of what he's done in that. Just an amazing thing. So, let's be clear. God does a miracle. He does, did a miracle for us. He doesn't want us to live in the past. He doesn't want us in any form whatsoever to be haunted or affected by the past because he has done what's necessary. That healing meant that bed was no longer needed. Take it away. Let's not even focus on it. Only don't leave it there to reserve your place around the pool or to take up space in the room after he come through the roof. Joy of gladness instead of mourning. God wants us to live in that joy because he deals with the past sins and memories. Let me say it again. And memories. Memories which are not helpful. He deals with it. See, when you meet God, you don't need the bed any longer. It's done and finished. What's the key? The key, of course, is forgiveness. To receive forgiveness, we need to forgive. Very often, when people are struggling with things from the past 
or living in the present with troubling issues or memories or things from the past. The key to it is have you forgiven? Forgive one another as I've forgiven you. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The key is forgiveness. You know, if you find there's something that's constantly kind of nagging at you, some issue, something that happened, some relationship, something that you perceive was done to you wrongly in the past, that keeps on kind of, you have to first examine, did I, have I forgiven? Because that's the release factor. The forgiveness is the release. It releases the other person, but boy, it does a bigger job of release in you. The wonderful thing, the power of God. If you have forgiven, what's the point in allowing the mind to run a replay, a memory of failure? It's done with. It's in the past. Let it go. And by the way, that also extends to forgiving yourself. Sometimes people deal with the forgiveness, but they miss out forgiving themselves. And therefore, the thing that kind of nags away or restricts is this issue of because they've not forgiven themselves. You see, here's the amazing thing. God's power of forgiveness extends to the ability for us to forgive ourselves, yet alone anybody else, for us to forgive us. We can believe God forgive us. We can act to forgive others, but the step of forgiving ourselves, that's God's power as well. When we look to him, we can look to the past in terms of what he's done. But remember that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we look to him in the present. Not only in the past, but in the present. And looking to what he's got for us in the days that lie ahead. Not just being dragged back to the past. I don't guess, I mean I don't know, but I can't imagine that the man, once he's walking home, or probably running home, is going to be picturing how it was when he was in the room on the bed because that's done for and that's finished and that's where God wants us to be. That's where we were, that's what happened and now we are where we are. See, there's a danger, there's a problem uh, if we look back. Memories, do you remember uh, when Mike Stevens was here and he talked about squatters? Do you realise memories can be squatters? They, they can kind of... They're, they're, they no longer belong there. They're, they're taking up space that doesn't really belong to them. It can be, sometimes we use the term of the landing strip for the enemy, that the enemy has a place, a, a gap in the armour, or a place where he can land with his thoughts. Don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to it. Let it go. At times I feel that cry. <coughs> when people are going back over things, that happened to them. You know, to go back on the basis of rejoicing of God's set you free is one thing. But to go back. I said to her, did you forgive? Yes. Well, what, what the heck is the point then? Let it go. Don't stick with it. That's not of God. That comes directly from the enemy. Bring every thought into captivity. Isn't it good that every instruction the Bible gives 
God provides the power to actually do it. The Bible says, bring every thought into captivity. That means he's equipped me in my spirit, by his spirit, to have a greater power. I can instruct my mind, you will not think along this line. I will refuse to bring, to allow brain room or wherever it is that thoughts exist in this area. I choose by the authority of the power of God to bring that thought which disturbs me, which frightens me, which gets me worked up inside. I bring that into captivity because of the precious, supreme power of God's Holy Spirit, which he gives to us. I, I've been, I had to practice this. A few years ago, someone broke into our house at night, got the car keys and stole my car, Dawn's car, and Jamie was living near his car, got the three cars. There was two or three days afterwards, there was Jamie, or Lucy I think it was, saw what she thought was his car. And for some reason, you know, we've still got a little bit of adventure in this. Let's do a Richard car. Let's ask God to take us to that. So we'd, we got a hired car, we drove around and... Uh, you know, and then we, God just, I think, directed us. We came down the road, that road that the Ackermans lived in. Yeah. It's come up now, they've moved. They've moved now, so it's better road. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, so we phoned the police. They say, don't do anything. Don't touch anything. We're coming. Well, after six 999 calls, they didn't appear. All the time, I could have gone home, got the spare key. I mean, they changed the number of plates, but got my car back. And we did what we could. I think Daniel was, were you in a car at the one end of the road? And Nathan and Phil were the other end. So we got the road blocked, not successfully. And anyway, I'm, I don't want to take too much time on this story. because I shall relive it again. <laughs> I should be the very opposite of what I'm just telling you to do. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting to the point. Bear with me. I'm getting to the point. So, uh, these two characters come out and they get in, in the car. And uh, Phil and Nathan drive up and Nathan jumps out and tries to grab the guy. And, but then he drives between the... The, the wall and, the, and the, another car and it was either having a squash Nathan or no car it, you know it's a kind of you know anyway got away the thing that, I, that troubled me was I could have got that car back myself now I did express in gentle and loving terms <laughs> my deepest feelings to the various police that dared to show their stupid faces after that. But you know, I had to come to the place where it wasn't any good, let it go. It's, it's finished, it's dealt with. No point in holding it. Because each time I let my mind go through that, it was, you know, I should have done this, I could have done that. We could have, 
It wasn't any point. It was finished. It's in the past. And God can help us do that. This is not mind over matter. This is the power of God in our lives. There comes a time to lay the bed aside. I mean, that man around the pool that we were also talking about, he needed that bed for 38 years. But God had done what was necessary. Now he's carrying the thing away. It would have been wrong to receive healing and still stay there. He needed to move on because of what God had done. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Under God, we don't have to be reacting to old information, whether it's stuff in our minds, whether it's somebody we see, or whether it's something that comes up. If we've dealt with it, if God has delivered us, if we've forgiven, we don't need to be dealing with that anymore. Let it go. See, the enemy seeks to condemn, seeks to say, oh, well, you must have done something wrong. Well, maybe, yes, maybe no. I love what that, that man that was healed, you know, the one that was questioned by the religious leaders. Well, who did this? Right? He said, look, he said, I, I don't know. I don't know any of these things. This one thing I know. Once I was blind, now I can see. I mean, that to me, I love that. You know, don't worry me with all that other stuff. You can have your doctrines, you can have your religious stuff, but I have an experience. That experience is so powerful that once I was blind, now I can see. And you can't deny an experience. Yeah. God deals in experience. And that bed, that spoke of the past, not the future. That's why it had to be let go. Well, I can't forget. Oh, I really can't forget. I can't forget what they did to me. Have you heard that expression? Oh, I can't forget. Well, see, we're not talking about a kind of memory block. What we're talking about is you can remember it, but in God, it no longer affects you. So it's not, it's not kind of a mind over matter thing. It's... Yes, you have the ability to remember it without it ever, and there's no point in dwelling on it, but it no longer has that effect. You know, that thing that kind of makes you go like that inside is removed by the power of God. You can stoke the fire by replaying the memories. How's that working for you? It doesn't do a lot of good. No point in stoking the fire. It's time to lay it aside. <coughs> The man had to lay aside the process, the talking, all the stuff about, you know, I had nobody there. The man through the roof had to kind of close off to the religious nonsense that was going on around him. Isn't it amazing? They just see a man miraculously healed and they want to get into some religious nonsense. Uh, it's, it's like they worship, worship their doctrine rather than their God. Yeah, all right, the man had nobody to help. The man round the pool had nobody to help. Yeah, we can go through the life history or we can actually say, but look, here I am now. You can just walk away, sat by this pool too long. The thing that you needed for the past, you no need now. The comfort that you got from it, you no longer need. Let's not live in the past. Somebody sent me something. Let me just... I like this, uh, about an, an attitude of 
dealing with some of these things. Let me just read these to you. We, got, we can put them on the screen. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. Now we know what they are. We know very well what they are, because most of us could identify with some of these things in our past. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. See, guys, there are lots of opportunities for people to bombard us with things and to speak of things which attack or focus on the past. If you're successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. But succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. But do good anyway. Right, this is not Bible. There's no scriptural references for this. This is the outworking of this great salvation. This is the outworking of the fact that we can walk free from our past. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable, but be honest and frank anyway. This is about being able to live in the reality of what God's given us. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favour underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. See, this is about what we call it paradoxical commandments. It's living in a contrary way. That people that have been freed with this great salvation are able to live at a level which is above. You know, it's, remember, uh, it's the fool that said in his heart, there is no God. You know, the wise person says, Lord, I give myself to you and yield to you. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Well, then build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them, then help them anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Still give the world the best that you have anyway. I just like that. I thought this is, this is how people who are not bound by the past and tripped over by their memories can actually deal with things. So bringing every thought into captivity, declaring the truth. I am set free. I don't have to go there. I refuse to follow that line of thought. I'm done with that. I refuse to run action replays in my mind. Psalm 27 verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. <clears throat> Let's just have a look how we can action and apply. Is there anything hidden in you? that the enemy could use to drag you down? If you're not sure, ask God to reveal it. And if he doesn't reveal it, reckon on the basis there isn't. And don't let the enemy have an opportunity to go searching around and developing imaginations. If there is something, then you just deal with it. By forgiving. By asking forgiveness. Perhaps because you've gone through things which you might have wished that you didn't have had to do that. Experiences that you had. See, some people dwell in past experience and things that were harmful and bad. But you know, it's possible in the goodness of God that as we are living above those, 
that that, see, somebody that's been through certain situations in life can have an empathy and a compassion which otherwise we wouldn't have. So God can use it for good if it's not pressing you down. Bad will be turned for good. Good can't be taken away. And the best is yet to come. See, we don't have to focus on fixing what's wrong. We just have to focus on loving and declaring the truth. See, that kind of rag-to-riches story tends to appeal to us. Uh, We can feel very self-righteous because we overcome those people who pulled me down. But we did learn when we were looking at the Esther story that that can just be a form of pride as well. Much safer to say, you know, I, I, was, I was a dirty rat who God dragged up despite my kicking and screaming. It's not a good idea to kind of glorify how bad we were. It's a good idea to recognise how good God is. See, when we take up the bed, using that phrase, it means we're taking up and dealing with and getting rid of old habits, Old perceptions, old attitudes, sins, bad memories. That's why, of course, water baptism is so vital and so important. I mean, most of all, it's because God said to do it. So, you know, it doesn't get more important than that. But the effect of that, that dealing with the past, that burying the old man, that getting rid of it, is a very, very powerful thing. Many people have found a tremendous setting free as they've been obedient to that instruction from God. So he doesn't want us to nurse the wounds of the past, the disappointments, the hurts, because there's a danger there of self-pity. We need to forgive. You're not to blame others anymore. Take our responsibility. Be set free from the past. Be forgiven. Be healed. Galatians 5 says, For freedom's sake I've been set free. What did he say again to the man? What do you, you want to get well? then look forward. Don't look back. You know, we were singing uh, that song this morning. No wall he won't kick down. No lie he won't tear down. I thought, wow. And you see, we tend to think about just the lies of the past. There's lies that can dwell in the present. They may allude to the past or they may be trying to put us off course for the future. You know the sort of lies I mean? What if such and such happens? What if this doesn't work out? See, if we're safe in the Saviour's hands, if we've committed our life to him, then he doesn't say nothing untoward will ever happen. He does say he will take care of us in every situation and he will only do and allow what's best for us as we continue through. Yes, so it was exciting to let the bed down. A lot of drama in that, but it's very exciting to lift the bed up and be done with it and not to focus on the past. Let it go. God's got something better in these days. A great commission for us.